push comes to shove, you always fall on something that's permanent. You don't fall on something that's temporary, mm-hmm. right? And at that moment, they, the, the one thing people definitely know that's permanent is God. You're listening to the Experience Sikhi podcast, a deeper look into the Sikh identity. We present to you open, honest, and inspiring stories. No armor, pretense, or sugarcoating. Welcome to the Experience Sikhi podcast. I'm Dharad Singh. And I'm Kalvinder Singh. We begin the podcast by acknowledging that we are meeting on Aboriginal land that has been inhabited by Indigenous people from the beginning. As settlers, we're grateful for the opportunity to meet here, and we thank all the generations of people who have taken care of this land for thousands of years. In particular, we acknowledge the traditional territory of the Anishinaabek and the Huron-Wendat. Also, just some reminders, if you guys like the podcast, please remember to comment, rate, and subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Google Play, and the many other platforms that we're streaming this on. You can also send us questions and feedback at podcast at experiencesitkey.com. Once again, that's podcast at experiencesitkey.com. Our guest today is Garnish Singh. In 2016, Garnish Singh graduated from Ryerson University with a degree in nursing. Since then, he's worked in the emergency department and now is in the intensive care unit. In this podcast, we'll talk to him about what it's like to work in a female-dominated field and how a Sikhi Sarup affects his everyday work. He'll also address the challenges that come with working in both departments and how he uses a Sikhi to overcome those challenges. It's going to be a good one, and we hope you enjoy it. With that being said, here's Ganesh Singh. All right, welcome Ganesh Singh. Uh, thanks for being on the podcast with us today. Uh, how are you doing? Dude, I'm doing great. I mean, well, we see <laughs> that you have us. You just went to Starbucks. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Ready yeah. for this podcast. <laughs> Let's get started. Uh, why don't you start off by telling us a bit about yourself, who you are, who's Ganesh Singh Tawana, other than Megan's brother, <laughs> <laughs> Megan Core from SoundCloud. Famous from SoundCloud, yeah. Um, so... What can I say about myself? So I'm, uh, my age is 25. Um, I was born and raised in Brampton. I like to play soccer. I like to play tabla. I like to play basketball. And uh, wow, I, that's literally all that I can say about me right now. <laughs> and I like Starbucks. There we go. <laughs> Tim Hortons. Sorry, Starbucks. Eh. I'm getting into it though. Like now really? Starbucks? I'm, I'm switching from Tim, Timmy's to like Starbucks and it's, it's affecting my wallet. Oh, exactly. <laughs> Which is why we stick to Tim's. Yeah, exactly. Um, what about, let's, let's move on to, let's say, your journey into Sikhi. Um, from what we know, it started off fairly young. How, how did that journey kind of start and lead yeah. you to where you are? Um, so we weren't really into Sikhi at all. Um, the, you know, like every, every weekend at my house, uh, we'd have uh, parties with cousins, you know, drinking. I remember, you know, I got drunk at the age of three um yeah no i'm not even kidding i had like wow. a little i thought it was coke i i drank something and i was just like found knocked out under like a laundry basket in the morning so that was life for me yeah yeah it was uh, parties were wild back yeah, then um sure. and then um Toddler Tuesdays. yeah and then uh so my mom started getting into uh just going to the gurdwara regularly and uh, from there she used to encourage us uh to start going to gurdwara and honestly like she used to she used to bribe us. So me and Mega, she used to be like, um, so I'll pay for your Frosties. Um, you guys just have to go to the Gurdwara. And like, 
like every every other month the frosty ante like had to go up like i needed more so (laughs) then it was dinner and then like but then after a while um so this was like tuesday sermons at dixie dixie gordura that i just i used to go to religiously um haha Um, (laughs) so (laughs) no pun intended um yeah so i used to go to dixie seminar programs and then uh at the age of 10 so literally that year uh i know virji came up to me he's like uh you should consider taking amrit and i'm like oh cool what's that Uh, he's (laughs) like don't worry about it (laughs) just get initiated (laughs) right but no like like i i was so young i just had no idea and like i was just enjoying simran right i was just enjoying just going and um that's it like virji was like oh you should uh consider taking amrit and um you know i got three trophies like i went over to his house he gave me trophies and stuff and i'm <laughs> wow. like oh. just like randomly off the yeah, shelf, just, just like, off of his shelf he was just this like is your name <laughs> i'm like this is from 1992 <laughs> <laughs> i am not kidding you i have a trophy in my room from 1992 oh uh, i never threw it out i don't know why <laughs> so yeah <clears throat> i feel like it was very um yeah, it was it was pushed, it was incentivized, but uh, at the end of the day, I ended up taking Amrit at the age of ten. Um, but I think that's where my journey really got started. Was uh, after taking Amrit, and then my my mom uh, met another random auntie, and uh, that random auntie ended up being Intu's mom, right? Ajinder oh, yeah, Singh's yeah. mom, yeah. right? And they're like, uh, "We're going to uh, Montreal, mom. You want to come with us?" Uh, we're like, "Okay, number one, uh, we've never traveled outside of Brampton, and number two, what's a smogum?" <laughs> um, so they're like, uh, "Yeah, just just come, you know, it's just you know, some singing and shabading, uh, and yeah. uh, we're we're just gonna do that for like four days, right?" And I'm like, four days." Um, so yeah, like that was my first mom, and after that, I just went to smogums till now (laughs) like till the age of 25 so that's just been part of my life and that's how like everything has like i feel like fallen into my lap is through just blessing right and so did you get into kind of switching tracks here a little bit kind of related um did you get influenced by someone in sangat um in terms of your career or was that something separate like how did you get into um nursing uh specifically yeah um so funny enough like everyone in sangat i just knew that i wanted to get into something challenging um but no like everyone was just doing their own thing but everyone's very like very career driven as well so i think i got that kind of just to push for school, push for university, getting good grades, right? All the, all those things, reading books, reading literature, just like being very diverse in the amount of knowledge that you have and being current, that was all like very important to me. Um, so that definitely affected me by the Sangat that uh, I was going to. And But no, nursing, uh, like literally my friend, I was sitting in uh, kinesiology class and which I got the, you know, I got the highest mark for like human anatomy, physiology right. in grade 12. So um, like I was super excited because I love learning that stuff. Mm-hmm. And one of my friends just like turns on, he's like, yo, uh, you want to do nursing together? And I'm like, <laughs> yo, <laughs> sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Literally went home because I didn't know what I was going to apply to. I, I applied to life sciences at UFT applied to health sciences at Mac, right. uh, applied to nursing at uh, Ryerson, 
uh, and that was it. Like I, the three options, I took those three options. That was it, right? Wow. So I got into everything, and then at the end of the day, I just had to make a decision, and I was like, hmm. I think I'm gonna do nursing because, like, I just wanted to know more about the healthcare system, right? Like the general, like in depth. If you want to know, I'm not even joking. Like if you want to know in depth about the policies that like govern our uh, entire healthcare system, nursing is really, really important. Number one, your frontline, you know exactly what you're experiencing, but you can get so in depth with like, you know, the federal, provincial, municipal, how everything functions and is integrated yeah. uh, with each other. So I feel like that was kind of just a stepping stone was, uh, I was be like, to get into a healthcare system, I'm just going to go into nursing. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So then, um, what, what did your friend, uh, is your friend like working with you now? Like, do you guys have some sort of community in that sense or? Uh, yeah, so he um, he actually recently just applied to the ICU because I fa- like I saw him on the floor one of the one of the days. No, I was like, "Yo, man, come join uh, the upper echelon." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding, but um, yeah, I was like, "Come join us, man!" Like, um, yeah, it's it's a it's a good working environment, and you're you're gonna challenge yourself. Uh, that's pretty mm-hmm. much what it what was my goal yeah. with that was just Fair enough. just to challenge yourself. And what was your experience before that? Um, did you enjoy your experience? Not so much. Why? Why ICU? Uh, so yeah, like I mean, I went. Um, so I started off in emergency, an uh, emergency nursing, and I loved it. Like I love it. Like it's just, it is so fun. It is not only really fun; it is so rewarding. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like you don't like it's just, it's just not a normal job, right? Like it's not a normal nine to five, you know, mm-hmm. like break with, you know, someone at 12 to one, you yeah. have lunch and Starbucks, like it ain't about that, right? Those are, this is only on my days off that I get these Starbucks. <laughs> yeah, <fair laughs> but on those days, like from seven to seven, like you were just working, right? And you don't mm-hmm. know what's going to come your way. So it's so unexpected. But it, that's what I loved about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's just like off the top. Like, you, yeah. Every single day is different. Very quick decision making. And that's what's like, it's it's really just channeled into my life. Whenever someone's like, hey, like, you know, what do we go? Do we go here, there, or there? I'm like, okay, we do this, we do this, we do this. Like, I don't like really care, but like, it's just, it just makes sense to me in the moment. So, right. like, decision making and quick decision making yeah. is like very organized and like, just like, it happens right away for me because right, right, I right. practice every day. Right. For like, yeah. has has there ever been a situation where um, you got into because um, like my wife's she's a respiratory therapist, right? And so she oh, yeah. tells me about that type of work environment, and I kind of get a glimpse, but I just don't understand how sometimes you're in a situation where it's like um, a life is on the line. Like, how do you kind of cope with that that fact? Like, it's just. Like the pressure, the pressure. Yeah, exactly. The, yeah, absolutely. Like the, the adrenaline definitely takes over in the moment. Um, because at, in the moment it's all the patient. It, you are not a thing. Like what your feelings, how you feel doesn't matter. It all gets pushed aside. It all Mm. becomes just for that person, exactly what's going to happen. And everyone is so becomes organized in what their role is in saving that person. Hmm. So the communication is very, very, um, there's no time to just be like, oh, maybe we should, no, it's like directed action. Like you have to speak and one person repeats after you. And so it's closed loop communication. So this happens very, very quickly. 
and it happens mostly in an organized way. If wow. it becomes chaotic, usually one person just says, everyone stop. And then they start. Like they, they will wow. direct it. But like there's no time to mess around. Because like just the other day, so I was just walking. I was just, you know, just walking, doing my thing. They're like, right. Ganesh, we need you in uh, sim queue. Uh, we need you to just uh, walk all the way down there. They, they need some help with a heavy guy, right? Right. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to go over there. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. This is a 400-pound guy. They needed seven nurses to like lift him Jeez. and stuff. It was, yeah, it was nuts. And then while I'm walking, they just, they're like, Oh, um, we have a, all of a sudden I hear uh, code blue, uh, north building, second floor, right? And then it's like right next to where I'm working. Um, so I literally ran into the room because I was right there. Mm-hmm. Right. I was one of the first responders. And the the girl who was doing uh, compressions, she was doing them like she was, it was very weak. It wasn't, right. we're in proper compressions. Mm-hmm. So in that moment, you don't take a side and be like, oh, let me just, you know, wait and yeah. politely yeah. just be like, okay, I need you to move to the side. Um, and then I quickly started compressions. Right. So like, and literally feel like the bone cracking under my like right. hand. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's like you feel that bone crack, like the rib cage just breaking mm-hmm. and you starting your compressions. And then you, you have to say, you have to communicate because at that point, it doesn't matter whose feelings get hurt. Definitely. It's about that patient. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, interesting. You, you say that a lot of times, even like, let's say pop culture movies, you always see the doctors doing that work and nurses usually on the side, but it sounds like it's the opposite. Um, in, in some families, it's always pushed that maybe you should become a doctor or a surgeon. It's sometimes it has something to do with the name. Sometimes it's just a career. Um, why pursue nursing over, over becoming, let's say a doctor or a surgeon? Um, so or yeah, like other professions, like, yeah. um, like what's the other, uh, I'm forgetting. Respiratory therapist? Yeah. <laughs> or, um, uh, there's another one. Occupational therapy or physiotherapy. Yeah, yeah, physiotherapy. Like, did, did you Pharmacist. Kind of, yeah. Pharma- right? Did you like evaluate those before? Like I know you said your friend was like, you want to go into nursing? And yeah. it's like, let's go. But like, what do you, did you get a time? Was that period, really the right? process? Yeah. <laughs> did you really go off a win? Let's get into yeah. nitty gritty here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I actually looked into pharmacy at Waterloo. Um, I just really, at the end of the day, wanted something tangible and uh, hands-on and and yes so one of my friends um also did say hey Ganesh uh you know screw nursing let's go to the Caribbean <laughs> yeah yeah uh, and become doctors yeah I was like number one no uh, <laughs> it's just a bad idea all around um no I mean a lot of people go to the Caribbean and uh, I don't, I don't disrespect uh, that. Like it's, it's, it's good that people, um, if they can't get into Canada, cause Canada is, oh my goodness, very competitive. To yeah. get in. Like people right. with like, you know, 4.0 GPA, yeah. like my cousin 4.0 GPA had everything, didn't get into Canada. He had to yeah. move to the States. Right. Oh, wow. So it's, it's very, it's very cutthroat in that. Like it's very hard to get, it's like lottery system in Canada, especially Canada with three, 33 yeah. million people and like a, just a handful of uh, medical schools yeah but that like you know at the end of the day it wasn't uh i didn't really you know what i what we can say is that finding what was right for me didn't happen overnight right Mm -hmm. like what you get out of a job does not happen overnight like you could go like i literally could have went into medicine like medical school right after nursing as well i had that option people are trying right right now and I think what what it was for me is I was just, for me, it was like being slow. Like the process is always, um, 
it's you have to enjoy it like mm-hmm. the you know like you can't just be like man i'm gonna just do this and i'm gonna do this and i'm gonna get the money and like oh man right. it's gonna be the the best yeah like no like it if you really want to enjoy your life and i guess find the fruit out of your career mm-hmm. it has to happen uh you know progressively like, like gradually right you you find these things because um when i did my uh undergrad at ryerson right like I didn't enjoy my placements for three and a half years. Wow. Four years. Yeah. Wow. And and one of my buddies, he just he just left after two years. Like he's like, oh man, he can't. Nah, I'm going to IT, man. Like mm-hmm. yeah. that's where the best here, right? Yeah. I'm like, okay, then like you didn't you didn't want to be a nurse, right? You didn't yeah. want to go into nursing. But after three and a half years of like oncology, so people right. dying of cancer to palliative, people dying of natural causes, right. mm-hmm. um, medicine where it's just a, you know terrible, right? Like it's just hectic. Yeah. And then I, I was just like, man, what do I what do I want to do? Like I did public health. I did so much mental health, right? I was like, there's like so much out there, but I'm not loving any of this. Mm-hmm. So literally my fourth year, um, they're like, uh, who wants to try emergency nursing, right? And then everyone got excited in the room. There was like a class full of like 15 people. Everyone raised their hands like, oh, I want to try emergency right. nursing. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, oh, well, there's a lot of people to compete against because there were only two spots. Oh, right to two spots 15 happy people very eager people to get in so she's yeah. like uh, the only way she had was to take the person's gpa in that class and mix it with everyone else's wow. and i got lucky right uh, so i got a, the placement at an emergency and oh my god like I, I was like man i think i found it i think i mm-hmm. found like a place i really love working and um it was just because the adrenaline that was a part of the job like I would, I'm like a very, uh, I'll explain this later in terms of what I really want from a job now versus like when you just get out of school, right? You just want a job. Like yeah. you just no, want sure. money, man. Like <laughs> you've been paying whatever like loans and some people. And textbooks, tuition. And textbooks, exactly. tuition, man. Like uh, travel, it's it's a lot. Um, um, but yeah, like it, it. Yeah, like, it, what, what can I say? Like, it was, it took, it took some time. And um, was that, like, as you said, it took some time. So was it, like, when you got to emergency, like, obviously, the three and a half years was you got through it, right? But yeah. when you got to emergency, was it, like, day one, like, you knew this is it? Or was it even that process was gradual? Because sometimes, what I'm trying to get to is yeah. that sometimes people uh, are too quick to judge that, Absolutely, oh, yeah. is this right for me or not? Or they feel, uh, we had conversations yesterday as well. Um, sometimes they feel they're not making an impact and it's not that up till that point or it's not as fulfilling. But once they reach a certain point, a, th- a certain threshold, then they're like, all right, this makes sense, right? So yeah. Was that, was that right away or was it? No, no. So when I just got my foot in the door, right? Like I wanted to, to get experience in, a, in emergency nursing and that was just it was just day to day I was learning more stuff and learning more stuff made you more autonomous and yes. being autonomous matters so much to me mm-hmm. right for some people it doesn't matter being like if they're under someone it's it's fine right but for me like gaining autonomy and I wasn't I definitely wasn't getting autonomy on the floors where everything's dictated mostly by doctors yeah. right an emergency you could you know there's advanced directives where you can initiate on your own so Mm -hmm. um i was doing that and uh, yeah so 
um yeah so it was very autonomous in that sense and i was enjoying that part but then the political kind of like aspects of a job there's always things Definitely. that there's like every job has something that you don't like yep. yeah um and the thing is you the thing that i always kind of go back on is, is something that i've just learned over the years is that passion is always has to be balanced with um with patience Definitely. Like take that in. Like passion is something that drives you every day, right? Mm -hmm. But sometimes people get way too ahead of themselves way too quick, which is why the second part of that is patience. You need to be hungry for your goals, your professional goals, wherever you want to end up. You need to you need to be hungry. You need mm -hmm. to be ambitious. You want something out of a job. What is that something? If it's money, then it's temporary. Then like then then what are you really going for? Because money is like Bro, like honestly, today in Canada, making $60,000, you can get everything you want, right? Yeah. It's not about money at the end of the day. It's about what you want out of a job, what really fulfills you. Yeah. And for me, I've noticed, and like I didn't know that in my first uh, two years working, right? After I switched into the ICU, then I started thinking about, man, what makes me happy? Like, what do mm -hmm. what do I look for in a job? What kind of characteristics do, does a job have that makes you fulfilled when you go home? Mm -hmm. So I started looking. And, and those things for me are, number one, autonomy. Number two, teaching uh, opportunities. Uh, number two, advancement in learning. Can you, can, do they pay you for definitely. learning? Can you, can you learn more? Um, and, uh, d definitely financial, I'm not going to lie is, is, is something that has it like is, is a part of it, but it's mm -hmm. not the driving factor. Right. Um, so yeah, like those, those are the types of things that I look for in, in a job now. That's, that's what gets me uh, excited. And is it challenging? Mm -hmm. It does it like, do I feel an adrenaline on my job? Definitely. Right. It's like, I don't want to go to like a nine to five uh, and respect to everyone who goes to a nine to five, right? Like, I don't want like a nine to five, just like, you know, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm helping, but I'm also like, you know, just doing desk work. I need like hands on, I need to see things. Yeah, for I need sure. to like, cause the amount of stories like I've picked up over time have really just guided me back to my sicky as well mm -hmm. like working nine to five and, and like doing a, maybe accounting job at like a business firm and you know counting the passe that one entire business, business makes yeah. right mm -hmm. how like i'm pretty sure people have their way of connecting it back to Siki, but for Definitely. me it's like v almost v like it's just an everyday thing how do i connect it back to Siki? is like i'm like woken up almost every other day i'm like slapped almost every other day mm-hmm Right, I, I have like so many uh, stories where I just man, like you just go it home and yeah. it humbles you, it wakes you up. Uh, like Gurbani talks just start coming to you, like beat the jab, beat the jab, janama kajre. Right, like those things are just like you see that your life is just sim simply just like being wasted away. It's slipping away from you, and you don't see that until you see like a thirty-three year old just die in front of your hands. Yeah. Right, like you yeah. just don't, yeah. you don't come to reality with that until you see it. Like you on, see yeah, it, right? Definitely. And obviously, it takes a toll on you for sure. But yeah, so that's actually a good point. It's like how how do you deal with that, right? Like, do you um, when you see somewhat death every day almost, and sometimes they're very amazing stories where people recover. But how do you deal with that personally? Do you have some sort of uh, thing that you do? Like obviously, Gurbani and Kita, then you go to that. Yeah. Um, 
alongside that, is there other things that you do to like kind of get over that or, or deal uh, with it? Yeah. So, I mean, so one of the first, I was just, just I was just talking about this today. Um, so one of the things that unfortunately has happened to me over time is, is, uh, insensitivity. Mm. I've become insensitive. And I, I realized that within myself that when people look at death, they're like, Oh, Mm-hmm. right and Definitely. when i look at death i'm just like yeah welcome, man. It's, it's your yeah, yeah right like fair. i look at it in such a different way because i'm exposed to it a lot more mm-hmm. right um do you think it might be a strength in your day-to-day work being insensitive or again thinking of it as hokum you know like that's a it's such a good question because sometimes yeah like no like i've been i feel touched sometimes mm-hmm. um i definitely feel touched when someone very young um passed away and you Tough know thing. they just had like many years you know, of them, yeah. you know like four 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 days of like you know maybe influenza <clears throat> they come in and the next thing you know they're in the icu and they die mm-hmm. right like i've we've seen that happen and then you see people who are 30 in their 30s and they drink their life away and they get liver cirrhosis and they die and then which in which i'm like um dude this it it came to you i'm Mm -hmm. not i'm no way shape or form sensitive to this death so i guess coping one of my one of the first times someone ever like passed on me um i took it to heart like big time like i was just like oh my goodness like someone literally like very young was just gasping their last breath and mm-hmm. I couldn't do anything about it. Um, and like watching them die and then having the family start to cry and then you're just in the room and you can't do anything and it's not in your hands. And at that point, I man, I was just like, and it being the emergency system, right? Like that was one of your patients, mm-hmm. right? You had three more to take care of. And if yeah. anything happened to those three, so literally I had to put myself I took 15 minutes and even that was like a problem that day because we were so busy, which we always are. Right. Right. But like when you need that time to just like, man, that's what just happened. Right. They don't, the the healthcare system and especially in the emergency and ICU, they don't allow for that time to Mm -hmm. kind of have maybe the ICU more, but emergency, like definitely not. If someone dies, you wrap that body, you move on to the next. Right. And it's like you, it's hard to debrief with people because that's what's just, that's what you're doing all day. Right. Yeah. So yeah. actually, oh, but yeah, sorry. So, uh, so yeah, getting back to your question. Yes, there are things. Um, Kirtan is definitely one of the ways that I, uh, I cope with that. Like I put my conversations, um, and I channel them through Gurbani. Gurbani mm-hmm. is like, is my way of communicating with my beloved um, and then there's also poetry. So I write poetry as well. Uh, check out my Instagram, Grenish94 <laughs> uh, on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're going to put it in the show in. notes. <laughs> um, but yeah, like <clears throat> I write um, I write poetry. Like I went to Cancun, whatever, in Mexico. And, you know, that was like my first kind of like family getaway, our first family getaway. Sure. And, and the the theme that i wrote for um like i wrote about was impermanence right and it's like when you when i go to a place i just want to write because of what are the what are the vibrations that i'm getting from that place mm-hmm. and for cancun it was literally like you sat on the beach people were just drinking ripping ripping beers shots everything 
partying, listening to music, loud, loud music. And people, that's a vacation. People escape their like normal day-to-day lives to literally forget about their day-to-day lives farther, Mm -hmm. like away from home. Definitely. Like a vacation for me was just like, what what is this <laughs> right like like when you think about it, like it was it was it was impermanence right like people look for happiness in temporary things yeah people want to escape the reality through temporary means mm-hmm. and that was just that's what i want to tr- that's what i want to translate into poetry and like there was just an abstract way of co- communicating and only really I know that, like what I'm writing about, but that's just how I kind of like do Definitely. my, yeah, that's how I cope. And yeah, so going back to the, actually like talking about your po- poetry and impermanence, I, I agree with that concept so much. I was watching this video a couple of years back and there was a director who kind of made a short video just about that. And he says we we kind of hold on to the past for so long, yeah. but then we realize that it's it's fleeting. Or even when we're we're in that moment, where any ha- moment that we're happy, we kind of get sad a little bit <laughs> yeah. because we're like, shit, it's gonna go away. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna right. End. And so we immediately go to the fact that it's gonna go away. Yeah, right. It's which gr- which gr- is unfortunate because then you've just missed out thirty to forty percent of that experience yep. of just enjoying that moment. Or yeah. people just get anxiety because they don't know what's going to happen next, right? And exactly. like anxiety is just birthed in like thinking about the future. Yes, right, and not really just honing down on the the present. What is the present moment? Can I really enjoy this? But it's oh man, kanuki kanna, right? What's yeah. what's exactly. happening tomorrow, right? Like oh, I'm so scared. I have a job interview next uh, in two months, right? It's like yep. yeah. So Khalil Gibran, um, I is a very very uh, the the book's called The Prophet, and uh, amazing poetry. Like oh my god, one of my favorite books of all time top three and in that book he he talks about joy and sorrow and he's like he's like don't get too i'm very like paraphrasing largely here but when he said he's like joy when you have joy just know that sorrow is sleeping right next to you yeah Mm -hmm. right so like when you just turn over right you could be having all the joy in the world yeah but that's just duality Mm -hmm. right when we're when our whole life is on on focused around us and our home like duality is just bound. Like we just live in Maya, right? If if we can't, unless we escape Mamiri, right? Then we can really get the we can get the experience outside of duality. But until we do that, my friend, is just gonna be pain, pleasure, joy, mm-hmm. sorrow, ups, downs, ebbs, flows. Yeah, always. Yeah, because we get too invested in that same emotion, right? Like yeah. if we're if we're happy, we're riding it completely, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? All the way. And if we're if we're sad, we're riding it all the way, and that's why we don't take an objective. When we're dookie, we're real dookie. Yeah. Exactly. When we're sookie, um, so <laughs> talking about you, kind of mentioned ER and the ICU um, multiple times. Just going into detail of like yeah. your day to day, like how does your day look like when you're in the ER, or how does your day look like in the ICU? What are the differences? Um, the reason I ask that question is like mainly for listeners who are going into nursing and yeah. might be considering this as a field. What's your day-to-day like in those uh, departments? Um, so the ER, um, you're usually given around uh, three or four patients or two patients, depending on where you work. If you're in the resuscita- uh, resuscitation areas, then you're two. If you're working like subacute, 
uh, mental health or, you know, acute, you could be three to four. And then ambulatory care, it's just, you know, everyone, you treat everyone. Yeah. Um, whoever's walking in, oh, we'll call it, right? <laughs> 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 right? Oh my goodness, the amount of health literacy we work on later, rants later. But yeah. um, <clears throat> we, we have four patients and essentially with emergency nursing, you want to do... Um, you want to do essentially the bare minimum when it comes to uh, their meds, but you, if there's one person who's really sick, you definitely prioritize that person who's really sick mm-hmm. um, because, you know, everyone's coming for whatever purpose they're coming for. But essentially at the end of the day, you're, you're giving meds, you're very, um, you're very on, on your toes when it comes to anticipating. Um, so if someone looks a little, you know, like right. they're gonna they're gonna start to deteriorate. You need to be on top of that. Like it's it's literally a minute, sometimes a seconds deal. Like it's like when you see someone's heart rate change or their rhythm change or their oxygen change. Like everything is literally in the back of your head. Mm-hmm. It has to be like most people are stable if they give you four. Right. Right. Um, So emergency is just like that. You deal with almost everything. If someone comes in, you're doing blood work, you're doing IV, you're doing an ECG, you're um, you're starting treatment. Mm -hmm. Um, You could be giving them IV medication. That's all you right until the doctor comes, sees them or you let the doctor know in advance that this person's unstable. We need to do something right now. Right. So that's mostly emergency care. And so sorry. um, So like essentially somebody comes into emergency. um, are you the first responders after like the, the kind of paramedics come in? Do you get to see them first or yeah. how does so, that work? Uh, so someone can, so there's two ways of getting to the hospital through uh, an ambulance or through you walking in. Right. right. <clears throat> so triage nurse would um, really dictate where you go from there. If you're how stable are you, they'll ask you a bunch of questions and they, they get the story and the story and your vital signs, everything is just pieced together and they'll give you a score and depending on that score, you either go into a place where you can wait three, four hours, sometimes yeah. five hours, and no one cares about you complaining. And no mm-hmm. one cares uh, how much of a headache you have. No one cares. I don't care. My colleagues don't care. Because that's not why you come to the emergency system. Mm-hmm. You come if you're dying, uh, diseased, or like something serious is happening. Mm-hmm. Right. People don't go to the, the the doctor's office. They don't go to urgent care clinics. People think that emergency is just a fix fixing system. So everyone just comes yeah. there, right? Yeah. Um, that's why there's been so many policies around, oh, should we charge people $10? And I'm like, no, like... You know, there's so much debate around that, but yeah. like, really, we would get we would get rid of like one of our principal foundations of our our healthcare system, which mm-hmm. is right. uh, universal accessibility. Right? We'd yeah. get rid of that if you have to pay ten bucks; it's no longer accessible. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're broke, right? So it's a challenge, <clears throat> but something you also can't say no to. Exactly. It's, it's there. Yeah, it, our our healthcare system is our healthcare system. Yeah, I would rather work for Canadian healthcare system versus the American healthcare system. Really? I Why? Would. Why? not gonna lie i would i would be so much richer (laughs) yeah for sure (laughs) in an american healthcare system yeah yeah but i also wouldn't uh be truly i wouldn't be supporting something that treated healthcare for me healthcare is a right right like Mm -hmm. and sometimes i don't feel that way when certain people come in and abuse the system right right so definitely my values are being uh you know, contradicted there where someone homeless 
you know, they come and uh, uh, and they're they they're like, oh, I'm gonna kill myself, right? And uh, you're like, dude, you wanted to kill yourself eight times in the past, right? right? And uh, you're really here for food, right? Right? Mm-hmm. And you can, or there's people who who just really lie a lot, right? There was a dude who like uh, was homeless and he started seizing, right? He just started ha- having a seizure, right? Yeah. I'm like, dude, this guy is like known for faking seizures. One of the one of the girls like right next to him. Imagine someone seizing in front of you, like yeah, going yeah, like this. Sure. Like, what are you? You're like, oh my god, what's happening, right? And the mm-hmm. girl right next to me, she's like, oh my god, I don't know what to do. And I, I knew the history of the patient. I was like, so he's known to fake seizures. So I literally, I did, I did something from House. Honestly, don't ever do this. <laughs> um, but so House, one time, he literally took the hand. He took the hand of the patient. Um, and he put it up to the face and then he dropped it and then the, the hand like kind of didn't go, didn't slap the patient's own face. So what I did was I put the hand up and I wanted to see if it fell on his face. That's a true seizure. (laughs) No way. And it came to the side. I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) these shows do help. (laughs) I'm going to tell this to my mom. Shows really do Do help. help, Right. That's not, if if you guys take any lesson away from that, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. Yeah. Um, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Um, just just getting into your day to day. So it it never is the same. Um, your position. How, what is it like being a male nurse? And notice that I I'm saying male nurse. Yeah. A lot of time when we say the word nurse, yeah. it's just automatically associated that oh it's a female profession. Or you when you go into let's say even say ICU, you expect to see a female nurse in front of you. Yeah. What's that like? Is it different? Why is it different? Um. So. What can I say, man? Like I mean, it used to. I feel like it used to be like that a long time. Like maybe like two, three years ago, mm-hmm. it used to be very uh, much that way that people <clears throat> say, oh, male nurse, female nurse, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. I feel like nowadays it's uh, it's more common to see a male nurse, very common, mm-hmm. but I, I totally understand like, well, yeah, when you go online and there's like uh, people wearing Halloween costumes of a nurse, right? You don't see yeah. a, a dude, right? Wearing yeah. like a, you know, like a very revealing, uh, yeah. <laughs> like a nurse. Yeah. I mean, I had the idea, but. <laughs> 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 but yeah, like I, I see how it's, uh, it's just been the way that uh, people have been depicting it for so long. So the depictions kind of don't, they just need to get updated with time. I'm not too concerned with it. I'm not really bothered by it because my job doesn't change. My job is like taking care of people, mm-hmm. uh, saving lives, right? And that for me, it doesn't, it doesn't mean you need to be male or female. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, definitely like maybe in the beginning, like uh, that guy uh, who uh, went to the Caribbean instead of me going to the Caribbean with him, yeah. he was like, oh, you're going to do nursing? Like, bro, like you're gonna you're gonna be a a, a nurse right i'm like e- e- yeah i'm gonna be a nurse right <laughs> yeah. like what, what are you gonna say to that um but now now that he's starting his residency he, i actually just met him at a, like a pizza depot like on while i was no taking way. my break right and he's like looking into residencies like hey, bro like what residencies re- residency should i go to right, right? right like right. i don't i don't know which ones are the best right I was like, and then all of a sudden the respect just comes up so much when you actually get into the healthcare system. Yes. yes. You don't develop the respect uh, for nurses and what they do on the front line unless you know. 
like mm. single-handedly what a nurse has done for your family in a time of need right, right? like and and this goes back into the daily thing I, I talked i know i talked about the er but the icu is a completely different ball game mm-hmm. icu yes, please is, do explain yeah yeah it's like the ICU is like people sometimes they're post-emergency, they're post-surgical, uh, but they're the sickest people in the entirety of the the Brampton area, right? Yeah. So all around, whoever's the sickest will be in the ICU. <laughs> sickest. Yeah. <laughs> That's sick. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> dot com. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, like it's, it's totally different ballgame because now I have more autonomy working in the ICU. That patient is literally like all me in terms of how I want to dictate care. Right. Everything anticipating wise, like what happens next, uh, usually before the orders even happen, I'm like, he's like, a uh, doctor would literally do rounds. He'd be like, do you need anything? I'd be like, okay, so I want this, this, this. He'd be like, all right, let's order it. Right. Right. No questions asked. Right. Like that's how much you know your patient because you spell, spend 12 hours with one person. Yeah, right. It's just you and that person. So you're so heavily involved. Into, like you see everything. Mm-hmm. If a heart rate changes from like 72 to 74, you note it in, your, in the back of your mind. And if it jumps to like 110, you know what is happening. What is a like pathophysiological process behind that going up to 110? Like mm-hmm. you know everything about your one patient. That is your job. So, mm-hmm. like, how many patients are in ICU usually? So, there's a 24-bed ICU in, in, in Brown Pacific. So, that means, like, there's 24 nurses yes. taking care of each single patient. Unless one person is very, very stable, they might pair you up with another very, very stable patient. Right. Oh, okay. But if you're very, uh, if they're very sick, if they're intubated, right, then... Um, single nurse, wow. Mm. Single nurse, one, one. And you're just... Like, there is no excuse for you not catching anything. Right. Because it's... Some margin of error is very, very slim. Very slim. Compared to the emergency. Very large. Uh, not very large, but larger, larger. than the ICU. Yeah. Would that, that would probably be because of, uh, like, kind of the chaotic yeah. kind of environment yeah. as well, right? Like Absolutely. The it's very controlled are... chaos in, in ICU. If something, That's a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. It's very controlled. Right. Um, if something happens like you know when it's going to happen why it's going to happen and you're ready to act on it right that is Mm -hmm. your job to anticipate if someone just heart stops you're ready with everything and you know it's going to stop right so (laughs) so you're expecting the unexpected but like you're not at the same time you you think you know what's going to happen but it doesn't always have to happen yeah like most of the times we know who's really, really sick and we know how much attention we need to put. Mm-hmm. And then for other people, like very, like rarely someone just codes and it's very unexpected. Yeah. I think that's just the gist of the right. ICU is very. And so what, was, what would be one thing that you just thought was uh, uh, kind of un- unexpected in this type of profession, right? Like, or even just emergency in general, what was one thing that stuck out to you or does stick out to you that uh, you can tell everyone that, was like, oh, I didn't expect this in the profession of nursing or I didn't expect this just in the ER or ICU. Um, or even like studying. Like this is, it wasn't a part of the job description anywhere you looked until you actually got there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what He's now like, that the I job. Did? The, the, <laughs> the job. job. Yeah, like there's so much to nursing. Like there's, the scope is the scope, right? Like you, what you can do and what you're allowed to do, but what you end up doing is so much more, right? Like, who has ever trained you to go into a room with a dying family, like someone whose family just died and the, 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 you know, 
they're like everyone's screaming. It's just so sad. Who who tells you to deal with that? Or mm-hmm. who has taught you how to deal with that? No one. That is just out of your heart. You just become a human at that point. And like that's just whatever you know in that in that case. But you've had to there's social work, people being very sketchy around you in terms of and by sketchy like you know like let's say a power of attorney i had that uh very um it's like ethical dilemmas right Right, there was like a uh ethical dilemmas happen so much in nursing and in just a healthcare field Mm -hmm. you know people saying that oh i I know my husband never wanted uh never wanted uh, a tube down his throat but when the time came the wife would just be like put a tube down his throat I need him to stay alive. Right. And then you're just like, damn, what do I listen to? What do I do? What yeah. Do I do? Right. And there's so, so do many- you guys not know at the beginning, like if they're uh, DNRs or not, or we know if they're DNRs, but like, let's say someone uh, was full code, but now they're, uh, you know, they can't make a, they can't make a decision. Right? right. And they're sedated and under all that sedation. And, but let's say they're completely vegetative, right? They're in a vegetative, they're com- right. comatose. And the thing is, is either we keep them alive and we can do that through a ventilator. Oh right. my goodness. Can we leave? Like, we can leave people alive so long on a ventilator. It's mm-hmm. not even funny. Like I've seen a body deteriorate a 26 year old. I've seen like this guy literally had an, a cardiac arrest. He was brain dead, but family wanted to keep him alive mm-hmm. totally. And it's the family's decision. It's yeah. not him right so family could keep him alive we kept him alive for a year Mm -hmm. and for a year you could see his body deteriorate like the skin comes off the body rots it smells it's disgusting Mm -hmm. it is absolutely gross but it's something that family's like jesus is gonna save him Mm -hmm. uh you know or maraj kirpak yeah like there's gonna be there's gonna be there's a way out there's a kirpa here Mm -hmm. waiting to happen when no there's no kirpa waiting to happen the science is the science right you had your time to meditate and to live your life and do as much kamai as possible it's done now Mm -hmm. right you are on your way to your next life but keeping your body alive doesn't mean like you can't if you can't do bhakti like for me like that's why, like, I think about advanced directives all the time. What do I want, right? And if I can't do bhakti and I can't walk and I can't play soccer, I can't do the things that I love, then, yeah, and kill, then, then not kill me, but like, don't keep me on a ventilator mm-hmm. for a year. Don't keep me a ve- in a vegetative state. Yeah, don't keep me in a vegetative state, right? Mm-hmm. But people don't, people don't know that. So it's totally out of my scope to even have those conversations with people. Yeah. Right. Like you don't, no one trains you for that, but mm-hmm. you want to ask people, Hey, like, I, I just want to have this conversation with you because no one really takes that initiative to have those very, very personal conversations mm-hmm. because you know, if people are scared of death and a lot of people are scared of death, mm-hmm. there are so many people who just don't know what, you know, keeping people on ventilator means or keeping people on dialysis means, right? Like, the that's i think that's where my ethics kind of just come into play is that once you're once you're dead right and hookum takes you and like that's it like your your life is that uh, is done like keeping you alive through artificial means is just like you just don't want it's it prolonging the like, process, it's, pro- yeah. it's prolonging the inevitable right mm-hmm. right, right. Yeah. and 
Yeah, like uh, as you mentioned, um, uh, the ventilator and all these stories. Uh, as a Sikh, like you mentioned, you were working in Brampton. Did did that kind of uh, affect how you kind of care for some people, or how, are they excited to see you? They're like, oh, there's a sick nurse, I can kind of connect with them. Uh, I know offline you mentioned a story uh, about a grandpa on a ventilator, um, and then Ardas, and can you just go through that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Story? yeah. Um, so, first of all, it's a blessing, uh, but it is also uh, uh, <laughs> it's terrifying. <A> <laughs> it's a curse. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a blessing and a curse. That was a word. Um, yeah, like when when this, this is a Punjabi dominated community and they see a you know a dude with a turban and he's working in the profession, they somehow think everything's gonna happen quicker for them. <laughs> but I'm unfortunately very biased and I'm with my um, with the health uh, care organization that I work for and yeah. I'm not for the Punjabis. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. with I'm for who's sick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no man, not who's sick, who's like sick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We got it, we got it. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, <laughs> but that clarification was needed because I'm like, you can't yeah, tell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Eventually I thought I'm like, he's I right. I enunciate what? more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sick. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it's great that some people, um, see me, uh, uh, as someone who's, uh, sick and, and, um, I definitely try to help and, and the communication is a lot easier for, you know, Budurgan, right? They don't really know some people who have families and they, their families leave them and stuff like that. Definitely. I can take care of them and because just through definitely. language, right? Yeah. Um, so otherwise that, uh, that patient on the, the ventilator and that family, like actually, so, so no. I'm going to interject for a second. So Go ahead. let's say you were, uh, taking care of a patient, you're assigned a patient that is like English speaking yeah. and there's an, Punjabi speaking patient uh, do they kind of switch you do they make those types of adjustments no. oh interesting they don't have you ever had a patient request to have you as their nurse yes okay interesting and there was that it was that patient um, the one so who was Punjabi but I think it had less to do that I was Punjabi but more to do with my work ethic right um, and I was really I was passionate about that family because they were passionate about their grandfather and they were so loving. They showed a lot of respect. And some nurses didn't really appreciate that. They're right. like, oh, they're too needy. They're, they, oh, they ask for too much, right? right? But I understood it as like, there was just a lot of love, right? Right. It's and a I, cultural difference too. You get, you have that absolutely. cultural capital yeah. versus the other oh, yeah, nurses. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, so through kind of just like spending a lot of time with that family, I had four days with that patient, just lagatar, so like 48 hours. Um, and I spent a lot of time and there was a lot of people that came by to say Fateh, um, to the patient. And so at the end of the day, like they were doing Ardas almost every day and I would, I would join in with the families to do right. Ardas because for me, it was a very genuine, very, very loving Ardas. And it was like the family was, you know, um, they were sick, right? Like you could see the the love they had for Gurbani as well, mm -hmm. and the love they had for Sikhi, and uh, and I'm just gonna interject and like totally contradict myself at the same time and just be like, um, that was just appearance as well, right? Like they were all into Sikhi, but it was just totally me that felt the love in the moment and wanted to you know, join him in Ardas. I've had families who've done Ardas for their loved ones and I didn't join in, mm -hmm, right. right? And uh, it was simply because 
I feel like I'm very, I feel like I don't want to say that I'm, I'm judgmental, but when you see so much of it, I feel like I've also become a little bit of judge, uh, judgmental. And I'm like, it's totally fair to say for me because I've seen like a mom who's, let's say no background of history, no, no, sorry, no background of Sikhi, right? And like, right. you know, like they don't really know what they're doing. And when push comes to shove and the, you know, their, their son who drank so much turns yellow and is on his deathbed of liver cirrhosis and she doesn't know what to do. And she falls onto the, you know, like the, on, on Gurbani, right? Cause there, there's no other, there's no there's other no hope. Path, right? There's no other hope at that point. You turn, when it, when push comes to shove, you always fall on something that's permanent. You don't fall on something that's temporary. Mm-hmm. Right, and at that moment, they the the one thing people definitely know that's permanent is God. Whether it's inside, whether it's outside, whether it's up in the sky, people fall to God. And why I just felt judgmental is because, like, I didn't I didn't join in at Ardas because for me it felt like the intention was a bargaining chip, right? Because we're we're like sometimes, and and I do this too on my daily life, right? Like, uh, well, actually. I can't say I do that. I've asked God for like something, right? Like right. that I want this materialistic object or I want, I can't say I've actually done that. Um, I don't do that because of, I guess my like profession, I've just seen people use God as a bargaining chip. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he, the energy is not, is not like is something that you just use when you need. Yeah. Right. It's, it's in you. It's within you. You are God. Mm-hmm. So like you, I just feel like there's those kind of intentions that I can't get behind. And, um, I guess that that's just who I am. Right. And I guess, uh, you know, people can be like, no man, whenever our doses, you go and you participate. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, as much as I want to say that you like, you, yeah, I totally agree with you. I should participate. I don't. Right. And like, that's just, that's just who I am because I've just. You know, I guess that's where my career and my Sikhi kind of come together right. is that there's very genuine love that I, if I feel it, right, I'm like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand this. Ardas. And mm-hmm. that when that guy left, when the, 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 the Baba, he left uh, the ICU, that family specifically came to me and like the grandson who's like 18 or whatever, he shook my hands with like a tear coming out of his eye. He's like, thank, thank you. you. Wow. And like that day I went home like soul fulfilled. Yeah. Right. Like that day I was like, man, like I'm so glad to be in this profession. Mm-hmm. And then there's other times where I don't want to be that's in the profession, yeah, yeah, but no. there's always pros and cons. Da- there's always pros and cons, but yeah. yeah. No, that's a great segue into the next question. Again, Sikhi does seem to be a core part of your life and that does translate into your, your working life as well. Um, other than let, let's say you feeling people being genuine and not, has there ever been a dilemma where your Sikh values clashed with your job or company values, um, whether that be your sarup, whether that be mentally, procedures, anything of that sort? Yeah. Um, so funny enough, the first time I got into uh, nursing, I get, I get into the school. It's my first year. I'm like, yay, I'm going to be something in life. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> thank you, daddy. Uh, <laughs> so uh, first week, um, I get a call from the assistant dean uh, at the school. She calls me to the office like, yo, what did I do? <laughs> yeah, this um, is my first week. What did I do? This is my first week. What did I do? And she calls me to the office uh, and then she's like, uh, Grinish, um, well, where's your mask fit? Right. And I'm like, 
what's that right <laughs> what do you mean mask fit right she's like um all nursing students before placement require a mask fit where you need to put a ma- on a mask and therefore you might need to shave the beard right and i'm like uh okay uh number one so i'm not gonna shave my beard and number two if that was a case then i wouldn't there wouldn't be sick healthcare professionals already existing in the job mm-hmm. so um they're like She's like, she was completely baffled, right? Because she's never seen it before that a, a, a sick came to the school. Because apparently a, years before, every year before, whether it was a Muslim or a sick, they'd, they'd uh, cut their hair. They, wow. would, they would shave mm-hmm. uh, for the profession. So um, she's like, we usually just get people who listen to us. Um, you're not listening to us, so we don't really know what to do here. I was like, okay, let me just, uh, like, I'll, let's schedule a meeting for next week. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is, this is an infringement on my uh, rights. On your rights, on exactly. my uh, my religious rights. So I called up a friend uh, and my friend uh, Jumpman called um, Balpreet Singh uh, at uh, WSO. WSO. Yeah, and Balpreet Singh uh, was like, "So uh, we have a dilemma here, right?" I'm like, "Sick, <laughs> 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 you're gonna help me." Um, so that was it. Was a very stressful week, but it wasn't as stressful as as soon as I called uh, Balpreet Singh because he really walked me through it. He's like. There, there are so many things that I can get you in touch with that I've gone through this process. You can simply ask for a paper mask, mm-hmm. right? And uh, so it's a PAPR. It's pretty much those hazmat suits that you see in, uh, you know, apocalypses or whatever. Yeah. Um, or quarantines. So, yeah, like I've actually had to use it once. It's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. So, so it wasn't a requirement of your everyday. It was just like for certain scenarios where you'd have to wear Yeah. That. So like um, SARS. Um, right. So in the SARS epidemic, they, they, were, they were just concerned that if that were to happen again, what would I do? And they were just uneducated on uh, the, the different alternatives. Right. And therefore, we had to educate them. And uh, I, got, I got by. So I was the first sick that graduated from wow. ryerson uh, <laughs> university you heard it here first on just <laughs> <laughs> the power of connections sick. <laughs> yeah honestly no but even like you knowing that there are sick professionals in our like in this field of work and then you being able to use those connections is huge too because i feel like even this podcast the whole purpose of it is to provide insight for our listeners so they know of what challenges are going to come up or how to get through them and then you had that in the back of your mind that no, there is a way to get out of it. I don't have to be like the students that came before me. Um, which, again, perfect segue into the next question. Um, what are some of the life or life lessons you've learned on the job? So maybe not, you know, getting there. But once you're there, what what's very important to you? What kind of principles have developed in your life since then? Um, so, yeah, I mean... Going back to when I said like smogums were like a very uh, prominent part of my life, I... Um, it's very, very integrated into how I go to work. Like, um, for me, I think the, the end, the end is like, you don't, you don't want to wait till the end to start doing Simran. Mm-hmm. Right. And, but it's, it's funny. Cause one of my friends today, uh, said that he's like, dude, but what about a test? He's like, when you, okay, let's say you have a test uh, next month. Mm-hmm. When's the hardest time you're going to study for that test? night before exactly yeah and that he's like he's like there you go there's your answer he's like why do you think we do it is because you know there's a set date 
And if you do uh, it a day or two before, right, and you you go hard and you study hard, mm-hmm. he's like, then you'll be maybe successful on that exam, yeah. right? He's like, but the thing with life is you don't have an end date. Mm-hmm. You just don't have that end date. So you, it's not like you live your life in fear that, oh, I'm going to die, man. I got to do Simran because I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. But it's, Sikhi is really, at the end of the day, it's just, it's a lifestyle. It isn't, it isn't something that, you know, um, you know, three Bobby can just uh, tell you that, uh, but you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. The have tos is not sustainable. Like to to feel like you have to do something is not sustainable for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and atomic habits or whatever, like if you want to create habits, it has to be you that drives. Yeah. Right. It, it has to be um, your passion, how you connect with it. Uh, it has to be that because if someone else is going to dictate how you uh, do your sikhi, for example, mm-hmm. right, or how you live sikhi, then at the end of the day, then uh, then you're not just you won't get the benefit, right? You won't get the entire benefit of, of your potential that mm-hmm. w- what you can go with. Yeah, and I think what what happens there is like it's a it's a communication problem. It's a marketing problem on their side mm. um, because they've never been told to kind of explain it the way that we understand it nowadays right um and i think like jagaraj saying he did a really good job of doing that in certain respects um but the issue there is like as you mentioned atomic habits it's an identity that needs to be there right you need an identity shift versus oh you need to do this this and this and i think the issue is um the grantees or the bob not not to like say that they're wrong yeah yeah, yeah, but they're they're not wrong yeah definitely but it's just that they 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 don't know how to do that they don't know how to kind of say Okay, I'm not going to tell you the requirements, but this is why it's beneficial. Yeah. This yeah. is why you need... We have a Sikhi marketing problem. <laughs> yeah, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> like, how do you get yourself into Sikhi? Number yeah. one, you have to do this. You yeah. have to do this. You have to put on this. You have to wear this. Yeah. And if it's uh, your damala isn't big enough, then you're a loser, right? Yeah. Like, if you buy in 15 <laughs> minutes, you get... No, just kidding. Three damalas free. No. But it doesn't come from like a place of love, essentially, right? You're not doing it for yourself. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, we're also like not in the like. It's it's, it's not like if you uh, get someone to convert to Sikhi, right? Like tera paar utar ho juga, right? Like it's not like that, right? Where some religions sometimes they market that as well. Um, that if you convert uh, you know, another it, someone into Islam or whatever, that you are saved or or something like that. I've heard that before, mm-hmm. right? It's not like that for us. Um, so Sikhi has to be like very, very, very personal. And and yeah, in the just context of of my job, like in terms of just dealing with death or just knowing um, the process of death and that like it's, it's, it's an any day thing. Just don't wait. Just don't mm-hmm. wait to um, explore and just uh, explore Sikhi or just, yeah, like Sikhi doesn't have to be this thing that you... Um, have to like do in mm. order for you to it's not like a means to it is a means to an end but it's not like it has to be very voluntary yeah. like it has to be Definitely. very voluntary I agree with that I think um, there's obviously there's things that you that Guru Sahib tells us to do yes, and those are absolutely. the things that you should do and um, but I think the way it's explained again like back to the marketing yeah. the way it's explained or the reason why we should do it right yeah. or or not even um, it's like do this, but also the reason for doing it is this, but they don't tell you that, right? Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like is a or oh, sorry, 
the reason for doing it is B, but we're just telling you to do A. Yeah. And it's like, just tell us B. Yeah. Right? And then there, that therefore we'll do A. Then, Because then if you tell us A, it's like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. That's why you're telling yeah. us to do it, right? I, um, I think I, what I was getting to that with that point was people are marketing Sikhi as like, or religion as a uh, as the end, right? You do A, B, C, D, God will be there mm-hmm. at the end of that porch, right? You take Amrit, you will get God, mm-hmm. right? Like, I don't think any of these things are true. I don't think that you do A, B, C, D, and you will get God. I don't think it, it's that simple. I don't think that's why Guru Sahib said, who are capable of this, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's like very like life like lifetimes lifetimes that you don't even know what lifetime you are you could be literally on like lifetime one mm-hmm. and if you have that ego that yo probably on lifetime 99 right <laughs> like <laughs> like it, it just it's great that you know um you know apa roj in in reras mil nam and then you know like the body that that's given to you, like it's great that we have this opportunity right now. So don't delay on it. Mm-hmm. And, and it, this is this is our opportunity. But also take it with a grain of salt that that this is it's a game. It's a game that maybe you won't you won't find God in in this lifetime. And yeah. yo, that's totally fine. That's just the process of the soul. Yeah. Right. This like this. I think yeah. That's it. Just becomes a spiritual game at that point. As you don't know where you're. Where you're, it's very con- continuous. Yeah, it's but that definitely. also shouldn't become like an excuse exactly. for you not to pick up exactly. that book and try it out for the first time. Which is yeah. one of the. Uh, it's hard to balance. Yeah. It's hard to balance because we think that oh, like you know, in the in the pins when I used to go, so I went to Dodra for Dod Seva, right? So we yeah. used to we used to do Dod Seva to every house. I'm like, oh, smaga madio, right? It'd be like, uh, we'll come, right? Yeah. Like if it's written, then we'll come. Mm-hmm. That's not an excuse, mm-hmm. right? Like, just come. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Just meditate, yo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You'll find the answer yourself. Exactly. Um, switching back to uh, kind of like the career uh, yeah, yeah. aspect as well. Um, and it kind of goes back to your childhood. Which jo- job did you think you would be doing when you were a child? Like, did, I know you that you talked about um, when you're in high school, you kind of thought of nursing. But yeah. before that, did you have any aspirations? How did that change? Um, What's a child? Sure. Um, <laughs> Defined a yeah. child. So Defined three child. months old. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I would say... I was still on the bottle then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So after your hangover year three, no, I'm just kidding. Um, so I would say around grade six, seven. I don't know. I remember that being as uh, those years yeah. being kind of like okay, now I'm starting to kind of think about that's amazing. Just, not not like my future, but yeah, yeah. just starting to think. Oh, I like this, or I like this, or maybe I want to be this like this profession, yeah. or whatever. Uh huh. Um, nah, man. Like for me, I think grade one, grade two, I wanted to be an astronaut. And then, uh, yeah, I, I just never became an astronaut, yeah. right? I wanted <laughs> yeah, yeah, to be yeah. an astronaut. And Are you then, sure? <laughs> um, I think uh, I wanted to be a gym teacher at one point. I wanted to do, like, a bunch of things that were fun, right? Fair enough, fair Maybe, enough. like, a hockey player. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's, fair, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, you get, you get those, like, transient uh, ambitions that you want to possibly pursue, but then... Mm-hmm. Um, Again, as we were going on, like, you don't, I didn't realize how important job characteristic, what to look for in a job, like, after 
since I was like 24. Like it hit right. me when I was 24. Mm-hmm. So I think the message that I want to send to everyone who's listening is that don't be so, um, I guess, stingy on finding the answers right away or don't be so concerned on finding the answers right away. Yeah. They will come, but be just open to opportunities, mm-hmm. right? Like you don't want to be like, I need to have my life figured out by 17. That's just not how it works. Right. And uh, yeah, like there's so many examples of that. And so what would be the questions that you would ask or you would tell, kind of uh, advise uh, two young children who are in high school that may want to find out, like I do want to ask some of these questions. What are the questions you would tell them to ask uh, to find out uh, answers to like, okay, will this job be fulfilling? Will this, um, uh, will I like this I profession? Like yeah. those types of questions, like what would you recommend they ask? Start asking themselves. Oh yeah. So uh, what do I prioritize in life? And I think the priorities also change with time, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like at that point, like when you're 17, 18, you're living with your parents, right? Oh, I'll still live with my parents. Um, yep. <laughs> when, you're, <laughs> when, you're, when you're 18, right? You just, um, I think a lot of the, the hype over, you know, money comes into play so much, right? Like I was recently at Louis Arbor where I was, uh, so I was one of the healthcare professionals and uh, at this job fair yep. uh, or like the student fair where they're asking, uh, I think, um, who was there? Uh, I believe Money Singh. Who was probably- no, no, not Money Singh. Um, our guy, uh, lawyer, Mr. Gurdjieff Singh? Yeah, Gurdjieff Singh, man. Why did I forget his name? He was there with me. And um, so a lot of the kids were asking questions about, um, like the parents were asking for them, right? And like, they were asking, uh, so how much do you make, right? <laughs> right. And uh, like everything for a doctor too, the, the most important thing for parents to know and for the kids to know about the doctor was how much he made. And like, it doesn't matter. Like it matters to an extent, but not to the point where it fulfills, it brings fulfillment to your life. Like that's the deal breaker. It's the deal yeah. breaker, right? You make $70,000 and uh, you're, uh, you're an embarrassment to the family, right? It's like, no, like that's just not how, um, so I think it's, it's all about, I guess, separating yourself from social media, separating yourself from what, uh, you know, from clout and, uh, you know, from what is seen to be successful. I think you need to ask yourself what, what is success to you? That's one of the most important questions that I've asked myself again and again and again. Like success to me is being fulfilled in any sort of uh, aspect of life, whether it's soccer, I still like, I played soccer yesterday. Right. And for me, it's like taking that game and seeing how much better I can be the next game. Mm-hmm. It's simple. Right. It's supposed to be fun. Right. But at the end of the day, how can I be better? Yeah. And that is success when you get to a place and whether it was tabla for me too, right? Like it took so much practice, so much time, uh, to play with uh, BB Megan Chorus Loud SoundCloud, check her out. Uh, <laughs> but you know, at, at the same time, like it's it was just it's passion that really drives success. Um, it's not anything that's temporary that will ever drive success. So I mm-hmm. really want you to ask yourself: number one, um, what do you think success means? And number two, what do you prioritize in your life? Do you prioritize autonomy? Do you prioritize for people who are like you know twenty five, twenty six? Uh, do you prioritize having babies? Right, because like, then maybe advancing your career wouldn't uh, wouldn't mean that you want to focus on your career, right? Yeah. 
it's really dependent on what you prioritize. And I guess those questions are very uh, uh, kind of time dependent, time well. dependent yeah. as yes. you just very. said, right? And so maybe it's more so, uh, and I guess I could share some advice on my end as well, yeah. um, giving, getting answers uh, to how people feel in certain uh, age groups. So I have a lot of friends who are mm. older than me and I, I've always um, kind of, viewed that as a blessing because some some will be 10 years older than me some will be six years older than me and i've always picked their brain especially when i've gotten yeah. stuck where i've i've come to a conclusion where there's a or there, i've come to a question where i i'm unable to find the answer to um i i go back to them and i say okay so what do you think uh, how are you feeling at this time or uh what did you go through or how did it turn out right there's a mm-hmm. lot of things that uh, give you clarity after you ask those questions to them, right? Absolutely. And so you get that information and then you can synthesize and kind of figure out the answer at that point. I also yeah. found like the best way of networking was like, let's say you have your mentors, but it was always like knowing what you're going to ask them. It was, uh, again, this this may seem a bit harsh, but it was always never waste anyone's time. So going, asking someone out for a coffee was never just so you, like you could get that face recognition. It's because you had questions that you wanted answered and people appreciated that more too. Like, this person wants something out of this conversation. It's not just a, it's not forced, right? It, it was, it was actually thinking about why you're doing the things you're doing and moving forward with that. Exactly. exactly. And also even to that point, when you're uh, just advice in terms of networking, if you're asking questions, also try to figure out how you can provide value to that person. Yeah. Right. Cause they're going to give you some really valuable information I'm always trying to figure out, can I provide value to this person even before I ask that question, right? Um, yeah. It goes a long way and they'll they'll go m- like miles ahead for you yeah. uh, based off of that. Um, so we do like to end every podcast with what we call the random five. We're going to ask you five totally random questions just for the, re- or the listeners to get to know you better. And we do expect rapid answers. So uh, we'll start off with what is your favorite book? Uh, so my favorite book is The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. Never read it. What is your favorite quote or Bani Pankti? Uh Bani Pankti honestly changes every week. <laughs> every <laughs> like smartum? my favorite is, yeah, every spot. <laughs> or anytime I do Girtan, like my favorite, I'm not even joking. Like when it comes to doing Girtan, one Shabbat will be stuck in my head for the longest time. And that's my favorite Shabbat. Mm-hmm. Right now, my favorite Shabbat is, Char uh, din apni nobat chale bajaye. So literally... Jardin being like the the metaphor, like you know, like, you only yeah. have a limited period of time mm-hmm. here before, and the mortal just beats his drums, and he's only here for a little bit. So that's that whole shabbat. Definitely love it. That's awesome. It'll and be uh, different next week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is one of your weird quirks, if you have any? Um, yes, so sure. other than throwing in plugs, I'm like he must. <laughs> um. I played double on everything, on every uh, one, right? Like, like, I, <laughs> like without even me noticing it, like I played double with a shabad that's just going in the back of my head always, like whatever that that shabad might be. But I'm just like playing the double, and that's just how I, that's my quirk. And people like stop that, right? And I'm like, oh, I didn't notice that I was playing double for like yeah. 15 minutes. Or it could be the fact that every time I go to a restaurant. I know what I'm gonna order before I I I or, like I get to the get restaurant. To nice. I appreciate. I'm such a me- I appreciate that. I'm such a menu researcher, man. Like I love food so much. I sometimes like on like when I'm just on the toilet, like I'm literally just like looking up menus. Menus. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
<laughs> I love food. <laughs> uh, if you could meet anyone in history, who would it be? Too good or not, Dave G. <laughs> like, <laughs> Fair and what's uh, your biggest pet peeve? Uh, man, this could be either really dark or <laughs> it can be like something simple. Um, okay, here's one of my biggest pet peeves. Real talk. So, um, after just being in, you know, what? I can say that one of my biggest pet peeves is don't ever judge, um, what people look like from the outside and deem that as true in, in your mind. So if someone looks really, you know, they have their hair cut or whatever, and you think that, oh, their sick key is below yours, mm-hmm. man, if someone says anything about that, I dislike it so much. Yeah. And the other way around, if someone says, oh, right, I detest it. Like, I don't, I don't mess, I, I don't like subscribe to that ideology at all mm-hmm. because you do not know a thing about that person's life. So mm-hmm. I would really refrain. That's just something that I do. I never, like anyone could literally be decked out, like jar chakkar on their, like uh, the mala and everything, could be sitting in front, chola, everything. Do not make that judgment that mm-hmm. they're religious. Do not. Fair. Um, and how would you describe yourself in one sentence? Ganesh Singh is? Ganesh Singh is dedicated to being better than himself yesterday. Wow. Awesome. Um, before we end off, uh, is there anything else you want to tell uh, the listeners? Any advice? Anything you want to impart to them? <sighs> I think I think it was just going to be that last thing. Like... Um, Passion and patience. I want you to just find your passion, what makes you, what gets you going. And I want you to be patient. I want you to learn. Like for me, like if, if it's, uh, I've had to tell myself, you need to be patient, right? You're going to get there. Relax. You don't need to be there before 30. You don't need to be there before 25. Mm-hmm. You don't need to get to anywhere before any, you don't need to be married by 27. You don't need to do any of that stuff. Just be patient. And, and if you become patient and you let yourself go and you give yourself, if you give your mind up in that moment and you give it to Guru Sahib and you'll be like, he's going to take over. If you, if you do that consciously and you don't think about what rewards you're going to reap, right? I think, I think there's, there's, there's good prasad there. That's awesome. And, uh, as you know, we're on a social media world. I'm not on social media. That's why I always say that. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, do you want to share any, like, t- uh, 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 Instagram accounts, like anything you have, like, what, that's sick. Um, yeah, <laughs> follow, uh, that's sick. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, it's a business me and my, uh, friend are working on. And, uh, right now, uh, we're honestly a, at a bit of a pause because of, you know, just career stuff as, as sometimes you just got to prioritize other things in your life. And when you try to do too much and you get ahead of yourself, mm-hmm. you kind of have to take a step back. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's sick and, uh, Ganesh 94. And if you have any questions about, uh, nursing or, or, you know my weird quirks you know give me a <laughs> give me a shout <laughs> awesome and that's Ganesh Dotson or just Ganesh saying 84 I, I think uh, Ganesh 94 94 sorry yeah, 94. yeah okay awesome thank you so much uh, we really appreciate you coming on the show um, and hopefully if you guys have any questions just uh, email us at podcast at and uh, thank you for listening <laughs> 
You've been listening to the Experience Sikhi Podcast. 